I'm going to focus on the first three noble truths, and I want to become very practical about this. Because I think these, you know, the fourth noble truth, we can see that there are actually things we can do. But with the first three, how do you make this real? How do we do it? Instead of just recognizing there is suffering, for example, how do we work with these truths in a way that brings the cessation of suffering? So I want to share some experiences with that and also some methods. You can see on page 51 this sort of second block of paragraphs kind of in the middle. It says, with the thought, this is the noble truth of dukkha. This is a down about one-third of the page in the second group of words. With the thought, this is the noble truth of dukkha, and this dukkha has to be understood. So that's what our job is once we recognize that there's dukkha present. This isn't really the Buddha saying that life is dukkha or it's everywhere, but I think really when we notice that we are experiencing suffering or stress or dissatisfaction, this is the time when we look at, okay, how do I understand this? How can I come to understand this, what's happening right now? And then he says that you recognize that this dukkha has been understood. So you do something there to understand it, and then you see that you understand it. And it's not just the concept of dukkha, but it's to understand this particular instance of suffering that I'm experiencing right now that feels so miserable. What is this about? And when we get to the second noble truth in the next um, part, it says, this is the noble truth of the cause of dukkha, and this cause has to be abandoned. And then, this cause of dukkha has been abandoned. So we actually see that it needs to be abandoned. We're able to abandon it, and we recognize we've abandoned the cause. And the third noble truth says this is the cessation of dukkha. And this cessation of dukkha it has to be realized. So like Ayasantachita was saying, this is something we experience. And then we know that this cessation of dukkha has been realized. We know we're free of it. This this can seem like kind of a vague process. How do you do it? So I mentioned earlier this week working with a a coach who had um, come up with a list of questions and a process for how to work with what we're feeling. And I found that very valuable. And it was this was before I even met up with the Dhamma. But once I 
um, started to understand better what the Buddha was talking about, I could begin to see how that process, it actually wasn't that particular method, but one that I found later, which was um, actually recommended to me by Ayasantachita and Ayananda Bodhi when we were living together, because they really uh, liked this book called Feeding Your Demons by Lama Sultramaleone. I see some heads nodding. And I was working with that process. This is one of the things that's so beautiful about living together with other nuns. We share what we find that we feel is valuable, and then uh, we work on it, and we can talk about it together. It's, it's really helpful. So because I had had experience previously with looking at my felt experience using this method of feeding your demons came quite naturally. And it was in that work of using it quite often when, when, when dukkha would arise, I would sit down and use this process and I could move through that experience to its cause and cessation in the space of about 30 minutes. And I didn't really see it as the noble truths then yet, but as I did it over and over again, I was keeping this demon journal of what I was doing and really getting a sense, then I started to recognize this is what the Buddha was talking about. These are the noble truths in action. So now we're going to do this kind of movie flashback thing, and I'm going to go way back in history, the 1970s. (laughs) Carl Rogers um, had a group of psychologists in Chicago working on various aspects of, of human psychology, and one of them was Eugene Genlin. Does anybody know Genlin's work? Okay, a couple people, I think. And he wrote a little book called Focusing that I don't know if it's still around, but it's, valu- it's worth looking at, I think. What this group, of researchers was doing was they were trying to understand why psychotherapy wasn't more effective than it is. And they were videotaping sessions with therapists working with clients. And then they were watching these videos and then they were looking at, you know, which of these clients was having good results because Some people have great results with psychotherapy and other people don't. And they were trying to identify what's going on in these sessions. And they had the idea that it's something the therapist is doing, it's something about the method. But what they started to realize is that it wasn't that at all. What they could point to and clearly identify was something that the client was doing. And they got so good at identifying who would be able to gain benefit from the the therapy sessions that a graduate student could look at one 
video from the first session with the client and to predict accurately whether they would have good results. So that's pretty intriguing. By that time, you want to know what was going on. <laughs> and this book focusing describes a method of working that some people would, whether it's naturally do or somehow had figured it out, and it really was based on being present with what they were feeling in their body. So intense emotional experience, kind of going inward, where am I feeling this in my body, and really examining that and staying present with that, and working with what would be changing and arising and connecting with that. So that was, I, I first got introduced to that when I was doing the interfaith seminary that I mentioned before, and we were taught how to coach people through this process. And of course, we had to learn it ourselves and use it ourselves. So that was my first exposure to a process that would actually help us work with not just the material not just the material of the, of the experience or what was going on with a person's life, but rather working directly with the, the sensations coming up in the body that could reveal what was misunderstood, lacking, um, hooked, and work directly with that so that the the person involved could get to a point where even if things didn't change externally in their situation, they were able to not just relate to it differently, but have a, a, a rewiring, you might say, or, a, or an epiphany even, some, some understanding that would allow them to be immune, immune to whatever this was that would trigger. Does that make sense? Okay. But what I found with focusing was that the results weren't always so reliable. Sometimes people would have, you know, like be able to do it easily and sometimes not. Maybe that does have to do with the skill of the person coaching them, but who knows. Anyway, when I found the next method that I mentioned the other day from the Undefended Love book, I found that that helped me get um, sort of more consistent results. By the time I started using um, Lama Sultra Malioni's Feeding Your Demons, that one seemed to nail it almost every time. The way the process is set up, it's extremely clear, it's pretty simple, and it's very effective, I find. And I'm not going to go through the details of the process, but I would very much highly recommend the book, and in general, getting the sense for how this works. Because you don't have to use those in particular. There's, I just heard about the RAIN process that Tara Brock uses. And it's 
sounds to me like a very similar kind of thing. So what is, what is involved in all these cases? First of all, we have to resist reaction, reacting about whatever it is that's triggering us. Because reacting, you know, even if someone says something really harsh or whatever you can think of a, a million different scenarios, the scenario is not what's important. Even though you may have make changes to your life in in the you know your life, um, who you're with, who you're working for, or whatever, that's not the place to start. Or trying to change them, the place to start is what am I hooked on? Why am I affected? Once we clear that up, then we can figure out what the right thing to do is with regard to what we're willing to live with or can or don't want to or what's supportive and what's not and so on. But until we work out what's going on inside and how we're um, organized such that this causes us to suffer, we can't really know clearly what actually needs to be changed and what doesn't. Many times I've felt like, I, oh, I need, to, I need to fix this. I need to talk to this person. I need to, and then go through the process and not have to say anything to them. And then what that means is that not only are we more resilient, but we are dealing with life in a way that doesn't cause suffering. It might be, it might be painful, but we don't have to be caught up in it. So the first thing is we're not reacting. And reacting to things, moving outwards in, in any which way, whether it's you know yelling at someone or whatever, even passive-aggressive behavior, whatever we're doing, it's, first of all, creating more karma, <laughs> You're going to have some kind of results from those things. But it also kind of takes the pressure off. And that's probably why we're doing it. I mean, we want things to be different. We don't like the way things are. And we're doing something that's actually going to release some of the pressure. But that doesn't help us understand it. So the second piece is that we have to stay present with this suffering. And I got a note um, sometime recently saying, can you explain more how we can become stronger or more capable, more able to stay present with that suffering? And really it's practice. It's like being working out at the gym. Mm-hmm. Staying present with that feeling in the body So this is not like being upset and then just staying upset, staying upset. It's more about feeling that upset, locating where it is in the body and being with that feeling, that experience. When we are doing that, we're not caught up in it. Although there might be tears and there might be, you know, an ongoing, you're really feeling this crummy feeling but there's also this wisdom aspect of the mind that's watching that says okay there's this horrible feeling in your stomach and you're working with that but you know I think you need to get something to eat 
two. And then you go get something to eat and you're still able to observe this. It's not the same as being like caught in the clenches of this miserable experience and running over and over in your mind about what caused it and what they did and how you're, you know, da, 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 da. none of that. Because the story is kept to about a phrase of, you know, six words or something. You just put that down and drop it and work with the body and work with your experience. So the more we're able to stay with that and observe it and let it change and see where it goes, the more we build up our stamina and our ability to stay with discomfort. And again, we're staying with it from a place of mindfulness. So we're not caught up in it in a way that drags us down. And we have all these different ways that we try to get away from that feeling. And they can be very, very tricky. And that's why it's useful to have a coach. It doesn't have to be um, anybody who's particularly trained even. You can do this with a friend who can say, you know, you're going off into intellectualizing now, you got to come back to that experience. Or we just got off on, you know, grousing about whoever it was, but that's no point. <laughs> back to the experience. Um, okay, so being present with it gives us um, more, um, builds our stamina for being being there. There are times when you don't have to stay with it all in one session. You can set it aside and come back. You just have to be able to remember what the trigger was and how that felt and bring it up again. And I did this on purpose many, many, many times. And the value of that is that you're not in the throes of the felt experience. You're not in the throes of the situation. You're working with trying to understand why, why does this bother me? Why is this a problem? Why am I suffering? And by bringing it up again, okay, that's the trigger, that's the feeling. Sometimes you can't get the same kind of intensity in the feeling when you're recalling it later, but then you can do things to amp it up. So an example. Um, I was in, in a monastery, this was when I was a laywoman, lay I had a teacher, and uh, publicly this teacher said something that I felt hurt by, kind of disregarded and hurt. And I spent the whole next day walking in the forest, staying present with that hurt. And I had to amplify it a bit to keep it going so that I could keep investigating, you know, what is this hurt about? And I, I went to the, there are certain techniques you can use, and one of the one of them is to amplify it by, you know, really looking at what if everybody in my life did this to me? You know, like, really, let's look, what is going on here? And it's, it's like there, there was really getting down to the deep sense of wanting approval. 
I really wanted approval and I didn't get it. And, you know, just, just seeing that and working with that and staying with that feeling of what it's like to not get that approval begins to sort of unravel it. It starts to unravel. Staying present with it. The next time somebody says something and I don't get that approval, it's like, oh. Because there's something that's really valuable about being able to stay present with it without pulling away or escaping as it crests in its intensity and fades again. We just don't have to be ruled by this thing. We can outlast it. And the way in which we're present with it, which, which comes out in, um, I just looked a little bit at the definition of, of the, the key words for Tara Brock's process, to really come to this with kindness, to really come to it with an acceptance. There's a healing that goes on inside around whatever this sort of wound is. And we get to know ourselves in a way that helps us to be really strong, really clear and available to life's experience. And so there's this sort of like when when we are in a session, say a feeding your demons session, there's this way you talk with this vision in front of you that represents that pain. And you are able to ask some questions and then take that persona on and answer those questions intuitively. So from deep inside, something arises that gives you the, 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 the information about what's going on. And then you feed, you, 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 you get the key of what's missing, like maybe feeling unloved or unsafe or, you know, wanting something key that feels like we don't have enough of. And then there's this encouragement part of the process is to recognize you have that quality in unlimited abundance and you can feed that visualization of a being. I don't know, this might be getting a little too abstract. (laughs) I really invite you to try it. Because we can, you, you, you can go through this kind of session and then experience the cessation of that, that suffering. And when you do, you have a better understanding of like, oh, I can go directly from this trigger to that place 
which is relief and peace. And I can understand better the path that that takes. And then I can make whatever changes need to be made externally that can be made. If we do this process again and again with the different kinds of things that come up, and we're also practicing the Noble Eightfold, the noble eightfold Path in a way that we're improving our virtue, so we're creating less trouble for ourselves and everyone else. We're developing our, our samatha, our peace of mind or stability of mind, which gives us like an insulation around our nerve endings in the world. And we're also looking at things with wisdom, seeing the impermanent nature, the suffering of clinging, the non-selfness. These things working together bring us into um, this opportunity, this uh, fertile ground for insight. Because we're we're gradually eliminating these tracks of trigger going to intense feeling and reaction around it. Simplifying, clarifying, bringing peace and relief. So this process that Tara Brock is using, uh, they use the acronym RAIN. So first you recognize what's happening. So that's the first thing. Instead of reacting, you recognize, okay, there's suffering here. That's the first noble truth. The Buddha's like, there's suffering here. Here's the suffering right now. This is suffering. (laughs) This needs to be attended to. And then A is for allow life to be just as it is. And what the description says is you're really allowing your thoughts and your emotions and feelings and sensations to be what they are. You're, you're taking on that observer role and accepting, okay, this is how I feel, even though you know I'm supposed to be a grown-up and I'm supposed to have this much practice under my belt and all that, I shouldn't be feeling this. You don't, you know, no, you, this is the way it is. This is how it feels. The I is for investigate the inner experience with kindness. And the N is for non-identification and resting in awareness. And the same thing comes through the uh, feeding your demons work. At the, at the end of the process, you're resting in awareness. You go into meditation. There might be other ways, and if you've run across any, um, I'd actually like to hear about it. But I really want to encourage you to recognize that the path can be a very active one that you can take 
control of and responsibility for. It's not just about, you know, waiting for the miracle or the bolt of lightning that's going to make it all clear. You really, there's really so much that we can do that helps us awaken. And in the, in, in the process, we are able to be so much happier as we go along. I know we both really want to encourage you. I you can do other, it. I found another acronym to say, which is from, from Stephen Batchelor. It's, it's ELSA. E like embrace, L like let go, S like see, and E like act. It seems to me like all the effective methods come right back to the Dhamma that the Buddha expounded. (laughs) But it does take a little bit of um, translation into our our life experience. So that's why it's useful for us to get together and talk about this. So thank you. <clears throat> we can uh, end with the sharing of blessings in Pali on page 32. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.